Unfortunately, that was stuck in our mailbox and not our post office box. Somehow it, it was stuck out there, and so we didn't have it in enough time to let you all know in enough time. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, Galatians 2, as you turn to Galatians 2 this evening, fighting a good fight. Uh, fights are inevitable. Uh, I remember when you know, we were getting married and the minister was talking to us, and he said, now, you know, when you fight, you need to fight fair. Well, Teresa and I had never had a fight at that point. You know, we were 19 years old, had been together for four years. We met at 15 and uh, dated only our, uh, each other, and so we never, uh, you know, we, we got along. You know, somewhere along the way, though, <laughs> it's inevitable that, you know, you'll have disagreements. I was uh, looking at some funny fights, and I found some stories from people who had strange fights with their family. Uh, one was that uh, their family once got in a two-month-long argument over whether Ross and Rachel were on a break. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Uh, my family fought for hours once when uh, the line is drawn somewhere between a soup and a stew, which is which, and it really didn't matter because they were having pizza that night, but they fought about it anyway. Uh, one, one Christmas, uh, the family got uh, excited and arguing about whether a ceiling fan rotated clockwise or counterclockwise. It was finally decided, well, it's your perspective if you're seeing it from above, <laughs> above or below. And so they said it's still a touchy subject after five years. Um, one was, uh, I got mad and I didn't get Jonas Brothers tickets and I told my family to pretend I was invisible since I wasn't worth getting <laughs> tickets for. And so for a week they pretended I didn't exist. I was not acknowledged at all. That's insane. I'm sorry. Um, uh, I teased my mom on Facebook about a typo. She typed panties instead of parties. And she disowned my whole branch of the family tree, and it kept my sister's family instead. I haven't talked with her for two years. Isn't it crazy, some of the things we get into? It's just nuts. The day the clocks turned back for daylight savings time, members of my family kept arguing about the time we should feed the cat so she wouldn't be confused. <laughs> I will tell you, our dog goes to the bowl at 5 o'clock, and if you change daylight saving times, it doesn't matter. It still has it in its head, so I, I think I can kind of see that one. Uh, my family and I once had an, a huge argument, argument over if you put socks, then underwear on, or underwear, then socks on. The argument went on for a whole month. <laughs> I, it, do we argue over some crazy things? I think we do. I, I think, you know, we, we get in this mindset that it's an important thing when it should be obvious to us what really is important. Tonight, I want to look at a quick overview of this passage of Scripture in Galatians 2 when we're thinking about fighting the good fight. Fights are inevitable. They're going to happen within groups. Uh, it happened in the first century. It happened with these individuals as they fought over issues over grace. And so when we consider the Christian life and the freedoms and the blessings that we have, and we talked about some of those this morning, we realize there are several areas that, though, are worth the fight, no matter what the cost. And for Paul, that was such an event in Galatians 2. Um, and there are some things that are worth fighting over. I want to hit those, and then I want to try to drill down into Colossians and kind of make it a, a Bible study and talk about that 
whole passage of Scripture, if you'll follow along with me. First of all, I think it's worth fighting over our unity. Unity is worth fighting over. When you look at Paul's entire purpose to go to the apostles, I think it was for him to seek unity at the utmost, overall. Now, he'll, we'll talk about what I believe he, his, his purpose in going was. Was it permission or something else? I think it's something else. Um, and still, he wanted unity with this group there in Jerusalem. In John 17, 23, Jesus' prayer for us was that we all be unified. We be brought together in unity. Acts 2, 1 says that the believers were all together in one place, meaning they are of one mind and one heart. It wasn't the location so much as it was their attitude. They were together. I think unity can't be overemphasized. The devastation that comes from a lack of unity can also not be overstated. You and I both know that to be true. Unity is worth fighting for. I think freedom is worth fighting for. The gospel is about freedom, freedom from the law, freedom from sin, freedom from spiritual death. You see those terms throughout uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We are free in Jesus, aren't we? We're free indeed. Once you begin to take away that freedom, though, you have severely altered the gospel. If it is not wrapped up in freedom, then the power of the gospel is emasculated. It doesn't work. You need that freedom. Paul wanted to make sure that the freedom from the law was not taken away because it would lead to freedom from sin and death and nullify those as well. He saw them as a set of dominoes. And so that needed to be addressed. Paul also somewhat was agitated with the apostles that they did not take a stronger stand on such things. We see that when he speak to those who seemed, he said, to be leaders in verse 2. And so you, you recognize that there are some issues going on. Uh, we'll, we'll see the word spy here in a moment. Uh, and you'll recognize that there was something going on that was not above board. I think we should be willing to fight over our calling. Our calling. Paul's question and questioning of the apostles was not for the purpose of validating his teaching. He wasn't trying to validate it. He was protecting it. That's the difference. He didn't come to them for permission to teach what he taught because Jesus told him what to teach. It's very clear. He had received what he had received to teach from the Lord Jesus. So he wasn't going to them for permission, you know, I want you guys to validate me, you know, pat me on the back, tell me I'm doing the right thing. No, he was protecting what he knew he should be teaching. Paul was afraid that the apostles were going to uh, buckle on the issue of circumcision. It goes back freedom, some other issues. And so in doing, they would render his race, he said, in vain. That's a phrase that he uses in this passage of Scripture. I want to make sure that my race is run. It's not run in vain. Paul clearly uh, thought that he was called to go to the Gentiles, and he would not let anyone corrupt God's calling. This was his calling. He knew it was because Jesus had given it to him. And so it was worth fighting over if they wouldn't agree. Once Paul took his stand, the apostles agreed with him and backed down from what it looked like they were going to do. 
And with that in mind, let me kind of talk about this series in Galatians and the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. When you look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 10 that we're getting to, uh, Paul's early Christian experience in his first encounter with church leaders was in Jerusalem. You can go back to 1, 11 through 24 to look at that. You have this summit between Paul and the Jerusalem leaders, and the scope is over his missionary work. You look at Galatians 2, I wanted you to know, brothers and sisters, he talks about the gospel there in verse 11 of verse 1. You jump over to chapter 2, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I also took Titus along. I went in response to a revelation and a meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. And so he's going there to talk about his missionary work. Verses 1 through 10 really talks about what he talked about with them. But then 11 through 21, it turns a little bit. There's a confrontation with Peter. uh, uh, And it may even say in your Bible the heading, uh, Paul opposes Cephas or Peter, that's who that is. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. He was playing favorites. And the summit between them brought that out. That confrontation with Peter at Antioch led to a central pronouncement of justification by faith and faith alone. Nothing else. No other works were necessary to get to be Christian. You didn't have to become Jewish first, which is what they were making them do, to become Christian. It was by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So Paul's first fight, if you will, for Christian liberty was at Jerusalem in the council. And you can look back in Acts chapter 15 at that whole discussion. And here in Galatians 2, uh, 1 through 10, as he discusses who he is and what he's teaching. His, his second was this private meeting that was with uh, Peter in Galatians 2, where he talked with them and brought it face to face. You are a Jew, he says in, in verse 14. And live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? That's pretty straightforward. You know, he's calling him a hypocrite, right? His hypocritical stance on what he had done. Paul had already returned to Antioch in his first missionary journey. And and Barnabas, when he reports about the Gentiles being saved, he returned to Jerusalem, talked to them about that. The Jewish leaders were upset by what they heard, and they went to Antioch. And began telling the Gentile believers that they needed to become Jewish first by, in essence, the act of circumcision before they could become Christians. The Jewish leaders had forgotten the true purpose of circumcision. It was really a circumcision of the heart. It didn't require a physical operation. It was an attitude that was required, not that action. That action was Old Testament. That action was before. Now Jesus had made a change. And that change was of the heart, not of the body. In Galatians, Paul, I think, defends his gospel there at Jerusalem. So let me drill down and kind of go with this, if you will. Verse 1, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem uh, with Barnabas taking Titus along. Titus was Greek. 
uh, he was Gentile. He was companion of Paul. He's mentioned to demonstrate that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem didn't pressure him to be circumcised. He had already been with them. That would have discredited any claim that the leaders in Jerusalem required Gentiles to be circumcised. You can look at verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. He's laying out his case to them, explaining to them, look, I mean, you didn't compel him to, and he's been with me on the journey. What's the deal? Why are you now saying that has to be done? Verse 2, I went in response in Revelation in a meeting privately with those esteemed leaders as I presented them to the gospel that I would preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. That was his concern. Am I doing all this and, and you guys are going to do un, undo everything I've been doing? And what I've been doing, to remind you, was from God. So he's trying to let them understand where he has been, why he was there, and why he's with them now. And so he, he talks to what basically is the three pillars of the church at that point, Peter, James, and John. But he's talking to them according to, he says, a revelation. God told him to go and to talk with these people, privately with these people. Now remember, James here is Jesus' half-brother. If you remember the gospel in Acts chapter 12, Herod had gotten all upset, and he killed James, the disciple, by the sword. And so he's gone now. So this is a different James. So when you think of Peter, James, and John, it's not John's brother. It's Jesus' half-brother who became leader in Jerusalem. You may remember all that from our studies in Acts when we did that a number of months ago. Some people suggest in commentaries that there were really kind of four meetings, uh, not just one private meeting, but a number of meetings. And I guess it's how you bring everybody together but let me give you those in case sometimes in your notes in your bible it'll point something out and i don't want want to confuse you but there there was one primary meeting that they were told to go to but probably four meetings in total the first meeting would have been a public meeting at which paul recounted what he had done among the gentiles and that would have been recorded in acts chapter 15 verse 4 and so when he goes to jerusalem and he just talks to the council in essence and then there's the private meeting with Peter, James, and John. And that's the one, you know, he's pointing fingers at Cephas and saying, buddy, you can't do this. You know, that's not the way this works. Then there's a public debate in Acts chapter 15. And you look at, at Galatians 2, verses 3 through 5, and you see him with the heart of saying, hey, here's Titus, and here's what we did, and here's what you did. Wait a minute. And so there's this debate back and forth, and you don't, you don't want to debate with Paul, okay? He was great at debating, and of course he won the debate, not because he was Paul, but because he was right. You get that? He was where God wanted him to be, saying what God wanted him to say. He didn't win it because he was a good debater, but he was. And then finally, the fourth one, the council session, at which everything was finally resolved. Okay, we agree. This is, this is what we agree to, and we're going to go off and do these other missionary journeys and everything. So you get that. Paul met with the leaders privately, not because he, again, was afraid of that his message was wrong. He knew that his message was right. There was no question in his mind that his message was right because it had come from Jesus. But rather, I think privately, to keep them 
separate from the spies. Go back to 2.4, if you will, for a minute. Uh, This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And so he has this private meeting when he gets with Peter, James, and John. And he's talking to them about the issues. And, you know, he's not calling Peter a hypocrite. He's helping him in that private meeting to address what the problem is. And they work out their issues in that private meeting. I think he does that to avoid open disagreements that would add fuel to the fire. Nothing wrong with that. It's not, a, it's not you know, like in Oklahoma, you know, if I, if I break the closed council meeting rule or something like that. No, this was just the better part of valor. If I, have, if I have something against you, I want to talk to you privately first. I don't want to drag you in front of everybody else and berate you and beat you over the head. But once we have come to an agreement, we come out, we should be, in this instance, agreeable. That doesn't always happen. But that's what happened here in Galatians 2 and Acts chapter 15 after that private meeting. When you look at that, I think it attests to Paul's motivation to traveling to Jerusalem. Uh, you know, some people would argue uh, that you know when you go to some place like Jerusalem and you're important, you're trying to lord it over. Some, he was never that kind of person. Uh, he he would have rather not gone to Jerusalem had they just not threatened those things we talked about unity. Had they had they not threatened what was going on in the freedom of the gospel and his calling. But because those were issues he was willing to fight over and because God told him to go, he was more than willing to go. And he was responding to God's direction, not human invitation. It wasn't as if he had been called on the carpet. Uh, he would not have gone in that sense, I'm being called on the carpet because I'm what I'm preaching. No, I'm going because God told me to go and I'm going to explain to you what God told me to say is what he's doing. And he was concerned, I think, with the aligning of his ministry to the Gentiles with the work of the apostles in Jerusalem. I mean, there are Gentiles everywhere. And we ought to be consistent in our stance on how we deal with Gentiles. How do they get in? And once that's settled, then the same gospel is going to be proclaimed everywhere. And we agree to that. And so I think that's what he was saying because he, again, talked in... Uh, verse 4 about these rogue people who were trying to get in and, and, and twist and, and, and make uh, those follow Jewish practices as opposed to be free in Jesus. So they come out of that meeting united in the public meeting. And the pillars, if you will, sided at one point with the Judaizers or tried to compromise, but, but he called them on it. And they debated that. That's that open debate. I think he was proactive rather than active, or being reactive, rather. I think it's an awkward situation, you know. uh, But you have to fight through that awkwardness sometimes, don't you? It's never comfortable to confront people. But as we have stated here, and you should know as well, when you love someone, you confront them. When you love someone, you confront them. You do not let them stay in an error or a misunderstanding between you. 
It's not what we're told to do. If we're here and we're praying and we remember somebody, we're supposed to get them to go. If, if we're giving an offering, we're supposed to leave the offering and go take care of business. And make that unity, make that freedom, make that calling one again. He, he wanted to talk with them in a way that was proactive. Because if you do not be careful, you will delay what causes you to be reactive, right? We're uncomfortable with it. Well, maybe if I leave it alone, if I don't say anything, it'll all work itself out. I've never found that to be true. I've always had to talk to people at some point and get a meeting of the minds on issues that we disagreed on. I mean, you read again in 3, not even Titus was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek, if this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You read those passages of scripture and, and it, it makes sense. I mean, Titus was 100% Gentile. He was Gentile. But then you've got Timothy, who Paul had been with. Timothy was half and half, half Gentile, half Jewish. And he needed to be circumcised so as not to bring confusion to the Jews he was trying to reach with the gospel. It was something he was willing to give up on because he was Jewish. But Titus was 100% Gentile, and they would not, Paul would not make him do that because he wasn't Jewish. It was not required for him to know the gospel. It wasn't required for Timothy to have it either, but it opened the door for him to do that. Remember, I come into these temple proper, and I come into places that only male Jews could go. So Titus is going to be out on the outside only so far. But Timothy could walk all the way in and discuss with people. You see the wisdom that they had and why that might be necessary? But it was only because he was Jewish already, not because he needed it to be saved. Paul's concern, I think, was the truth of the gospel. You look, look in, in verse 5 and 14, I think you can see that. Uh, you, you look at that, we did not give in, he says. Jump to, to, to verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew. And he confronts them. Confrontation, I think, is loving. Now, I don't mean be mean, uh, beat somebody over the head with it, but I think it's a loving response because of the truth of the gospel, not just the peace of the church. There will not always be peace in church, folks. I've been member of a number of churches and I have overseen I, I, I've lost count I really need to go back and see how many churches I have been in this situation as interim or leading or haven't even been called in to help resolve a fight there will not always be peace in the church ultimately we hope for peace in the church but we will disagree over things and the wisdom that God sends is from above and it's pure and peaceful James three seventeen says but peace at any price was not Paul's philosophy of ministry, nor should it be ours. There are some things that are worth fighting over. Look at verse 6. As for those who were held high esteem, 
whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. You see how it's not, it's not peace at any price. I just want these guys to like me. He was not willing to be that kind of person. Can't we all just get along? No. He's not going to be that kind of person. It was too important what they were fighting over. Verse 7, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work with me, an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and that they should be circumcised and they and they too be circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. It wasn't required. Just take care of these issues. Ever since Paul's time with the enemies of grace trying to add something to the gospel. He was sensitive about issues like this. They tell us that a man is saved by faith in Christ plus something. Good works, the Ten Commandments, baptism, church membership, religious ritual. Paul makes it clear that these teachers are wrong. That's That's not how you get saved. You're saved through faith alone. And it's serious to tamper with the gospel, isn't it? It's God's message. It's not my message I made up. It's his message. So this act of giving the right hand of fellowship indicates that Paul's apostleship had been accepted by the pillars, so to speak. And if the Galatians were formally concerned about Paul being a rogue apostle, they no longer were such after this event in Galatians. 10 says, they asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. That was their only requirement. I think correct doctrine is never a substitute for Christian duty. We still have to do something, right? Read in James, you know, uh, I can't just say to my brother, be at peace, go your way. You know, I need to do something. I need to take care of them when I know that there is an issue And I know this church does that. It takes care of its people. Paul's always been interested in helping the poor. You look at Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 20. uh, He was also glad to follow the leader's suggestion. Because that's really all it was. You look at this passage of scripture. And I think we have a clear message that there will be confrontations within church. There were in the first century. Why should we think it's any different now? The issue is, it was over things that were of value. Not whether Rachel and Ross were on a break. Not over whether the carpet should be orange or red. Not over where we should have white walls or tan walls. But I have been in meetings where we fought tooth and nail over very such similar things. I've seen churches almost divide themselves over the minutia of things that made no difference 
to the gospel. They were not worth fighting for. But you and I are to fight the good fight. And that good fight is all around the gospel of Jesus. And through righteousness alone, I do not put on someone more than is necessary. When people come and want to join the church, you know, I don't tell them, oh, by the way, you have to give X amount. Oh, by the way, you have to join all these committees. Oh, by the way, you have to be here so many times a month. Oh, by the way, you know, no. If they want to meet Jesus, they can meet him right now. Just like the thief on the cross could. By righteousness? No. By faith alone. By activity? No. By faith alone. By finances? No. By faith alone. It's worth fighting over unity and freedom and calling. There is a good fight, and you and I should be fighting it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this moment and ask you to be with us. We, we look at this church, and we see their activity, and we see in the first century how they wrestled over things. We are not immune to that. You never told us we would be. You even said that when you would come, you would divide families. We know that to be true, but yet we, because we would rather not fight, sometimes let things go. Forgive us for we've not stood up for things that are important. Forgive us where we've caved in or, like Peter, been hypocritical. Help us to stand in the right place, saying the right things for the right reason, because you have called us to do that. Because we have received the message from you. May we go with that message from this place and share it with those who do not know Jesus. Use us to share that message this week, we pray in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. May you have a wonderful week and may you be used by God.